0: Welcome to this episode of Lead Sex, where we go over the current trends that will impact society in the next decade. Psychedelics have been used throughout history by many cultures all over the globe. In the 60s and 70s, they were made illegal and demonized. At the same time, people like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs credit part of their success to their experiences with such substances. Others say they are dangerous and disconnect you from reality. The truth is probably somewhere in between. Legal aspects have prevented a lot of scientific studies on these substances in the last decades, but they are now happening with strong investors supporting them. Institutions like Harvard, Stanford and Johns Hopkins Hospital are now exploring this area with very promising initial results on topics like depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Some countries are even thinking about legalizing them. But there is still a long way to go. How and for what purposes should psychedelics be used for? Should they be legalized or controlled? Is it all in the brain or there is something more to it? The discussion is a very relevant and delicate one. To discuss more in detail this topic, we have two amazing guests that mix medical, scientific, traditional knowledge and experience on the subject. We have Sima Desai, MD, board-certified child, adolescent and adult psychiatrist. For the past 10 years, she has served as clinical professor of psychiatry at New York University School of Medicine and at the NYU World Trade Center Health Program, treating first responders who suffer from mental health conditions related to events of 9-11. She also co-edited a book published by the American Psychiatric Association titled Becoming Mindful, Integrating Mindfulness into Your Psychiatric Practice. She has been a therapist in the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, conducting the investigation in the effects on MDMA in a psychotherapy for the treatment of PTSD. We also have Satya with us. Satya has traveled around the world and has been inspired by the indigenous tribes and cultures of Indonesia, Mexico, Hawaii, Peru, Brazil, Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, England, Portugal and Kyrgyzstan. She's an international spiritual awareness facilitator. She dedicates her life helping people to heal their wounds, to get their full potential, awakening their own soul wisdom and expanding their consciousness. She has years of experience of working with several transformation processes and therapies such as medicinal plants, meditation, breath work, bioenergetics, primal work, emotional stress and trauma release, shamanism, fire walking, soul expression and energy reading. Satya is the founder of several transformation processes like the Sacred Lotus Journey, Soul Wisdom Retreat, The Way Zin, founder and director of the International Awareness Facilitator Training School and many other processes. I am David Bernardo-Santo, and I'll be joined today by our student interviewer, Michelle Wolf. We hope you enjoy it. Please remember that more than providing answers, Lead Sex podcast aims to raise awareness and questions about topics that are becoming relevant and discussed in society. The podcast reflects the personal views of each of its participants, and not any institutions. It's not in any way meant to give investment, health, medical, or any other type of advice. Many of the topics addressed are still not fully tested, confirmed, or approved. So please question everything you hear and exercise extreme caution. If you just want to introduce yourselves to each other uh, briefly, I think it would be great.
1: Who wants to start? You can start, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a mother. I'm a woman. Uh, And I give my life to consciousness. I dedicate my life to helping people and myself to rise consciousness. Uh, Since very young age, I already went from law school, places of marketing. But since very young, I I really dedicate most of my time to spirituality and to consciousness. I arrived to uh, Sacred Medicine. Some years ago, and uh, I felt that I arrived home. I never took uh, chemistries, only the sacred plants. So I can't talk about the psychedelics in um, from MDMA, all this uh, ketamine. I don't know. I can't uh, really talk. I believe they have a very important place on healing. Uh, but the way I perceive the um, the psychedelics even beyond the physical healing and emotional healing, that there is a strong importance on that. I see on all the clients for all these years. And I've been dedicating my life for people with cancer. So I have a lot of great results with cancer, uh, 100% healing. Of course, people people don't heal uh, sometimes totally. And of course, I have some cases that I follow them and prepare them to die because the body can't regenerate again health Uh, but my main connection with the sacred plants for all these years is the key for expansion of consciousness of course everything is connected physicality emotional mind but the expansion that we can come out of the personality structure and starting to what uh, all the spiritual lineage talk about, unity, oldness, uh, beyond the individuality into not even collective consciousness, but the mystery itself, the consciousness without consciousness about itself, the one without the name. And when uh, each one of us can really touch, feel ourselves in that, to recognize that beyond our individuality, beyond our personality structure, beyond our practical daily life. Uh, I see true changings in people and the way they relate with each other and with others, and the way they position themselves in their works. And so I think, and I believe, and I see the true the true I can say, but the big step into humanity is to, to start uh, feeling all this life as our own and all our actions has a consequence on others and even on the universe. And not uh, If we want to go a little bit more pragmatical in economics, the way we live, the way we treat others, even the medicine, how it looks to patients... So there's a bigger social and conscious evolution now. And I think, I believe that we are in one of the most times for humanity because we are really seeing how quantum physics is explaining all this ancient wisdom that so many of us, we are talking about for so many centuries. And so it's a a great honor to be alive here in this moment.
0: Thank you, Satya. Seema, a little about yourself.
2: Yeah, thanks, Satya. That's beautiful. And uh, much of what you say resonates with my own experience. I'm also a mother and also uh, interested in consciousness expansion. I am trained as a psychiatrist. I've gone through the traditional medical school, medical model. But I've always also been interested in mind-body medicine. Practices that were passed down from my grandparents, such as yoga and meditation and, and different ritual practice that I find very meditative. And so I, I and then early on and always being really interested in all these practices as tools to be able to understand or explore or touch areas that are unexplainable, you know, things that are beyond our understanding. And so in my young life had some experiences with psychedelics that I found really interesting too. And then Later in life, when I came to my residency in psychiatry, recognized, you know, kind of reflecting back on these experiences, recognized how much of what I was learning about the way the mind works or, you know, different lines of psychology or uh, mental health resonated with some of those early experiences I, as I had, and also um, learning how you know, the intersection of psychology and spirituality and seeing like how this could be a really, really, fruitful area of investigation. And so that's what the last, you know, 15, 20 years of my exploration has been. So along with learning traditional psychiatry, learning about psychopharmacology, traditional medications, I've also chosen this path of uh, deeper exploration of different contemplative practices, including meditation, mindfulness, yoga. And then at some point when I was in my child psychiatry training, realized that that the psychedelics can can be a part of this too and had been a part of this. And so I did my child psychiatry training at University of California, UC LA Harbor, where the chair of the department, whose name is Charlie Grove, was one of the few um, psychiatrists who were still doing active research in psychedelics while I was training there. So he became a real mentor for me and being able to understand the potential therapeutic applications of some of these medicines. And so that that kind of one thing led to another. And for the last 10 plus years, I've been a study therapist in some of the research going on at NYU, looking at uh, different different things. One is psilocybin for end-stage cancer, people who have fear of death and dying facilitating them through this process. Um, Right now, a therapist in studies with psilocybin looking at major depression, the treatment of major depression and MDMA looking at uh, used for post-traumatic stress disorder. And then in my private practice using ketamine assisted psychotherapy for um, multiple things, including PTSD and depression. And uh, a lot of people who have had negative or not so fruitful experiences like in traditional medicine looking for alternatives. So um, that's kind of some background of what I do and how I got to be there.
0: Thank you so much. I I would like to, this is a very interesting and fascinating topic for me. And even as uh, I go deeper into it, I grew up with drugs are evil. Drugs are bad say no to drugs. Like uh, I think it was even in the video games you had all these things. And then suddenly we are talking about psychedelics. We're talking about medicine plants. I've seen many people going through experiences before and after medicine plants and before they call them drugs. After going through the experience, they call them medicine plants. But there's definitely this stigma and we put all these substances into uh, the same categories so it would be heroin it would be cocaine it would be psilocybin it would be mdma or it would be ayahuasca people are like these are drugs and uh, the legal aspect to it is even certain uh, governments and, and countries consider them all at the same level Can you explain us a little bit the differences between? And also probably something that I find very important is the difference in context. It's not the same if you go to a party and you take MDMA or magic mushrooms, let's put it like this, or you do this in a therapeutical setting, uh, like uh, I I know you're developing as well with uh, maps and all these research that is being done and that is already FDA approved. Can both of you tell us a little bit, like what's the difference, and how did we get to this that everything is like considered put in the same in the same bag?
2: Um, Would you like to start, Satya, or should I? Yes, please. Sure, go ahead. No, you start before. Oh, okay, I'll I'm go okay. ahead. <laughs> <I'm> okay. <laughs> I can give you my thoughts on it, my opinion. I'm sure there's many different perspectives. Um, and Satya can speak to this part more, that plant medicines and these sacred medicines have been used in different cultures around the world for thousands of years. So these are not new substances. What and then so and they within context within cultural context spiritual contexts have been like ways of life and um, my understanding in the United States is what I can speak to the best is that some of some of these chemicals had started like LSD for example had started had become synthesized by accident you know in the 1950s and and then were being widely distributed. To all sorts of researchers, because of this understanding that this is something special and interesting, but we don't know what it is and we don't know what it's for. And so, for this is kind of the beginning in the United States in the research model of how these beca- became began being investigated. And um, I, I think there was there's different stories and versions of what happened. But, you know, a lot of political things that kind of came together to make it the perfect storm for people to start to pay attention, maybe become fearful of the potential power or dangers of some of these medicines. And so things like LSD and I believe psilocybin and MDMA and some of these by, you know, by the 19. it, they happened at different times, but you know, by the 1980s, all of those were became scheduled one substances. I think we know a lot more now about looking at the science behind them, about things like danger, harm, lethality, the potential for addiction, the. You know the, what what the substances actually do, and when you start to look at it from a scientific perspective, they're they're very different. And you know this may be controversial to say, but all substances have value in some way. And so even things like heroin or you know other things that are still illegal, schedule one, you know have have value in in medicinal purposes, and their versions of them like morphine and things are are still used. And so, in my opinion, like p- political issues and, and fear and things like that have a lot to do with why they've all been categorized together. When I was in medical school and in my psychiatry training, there was no discussion of the p- potential therapeutic applications of like LSD, psilocybin, MDMA. They were all just <laughs> bad. You know, you you assess for if people are using them and then they may have a substance use problem and that, and we've come a long way in the medical field of starting to tease out and understand
3: can i maybe jump in here and ask you a question how did you then get into psychedelics because you said it wasn't really a focus in school, but what raised your interest and how did you come that you were also now a study therapist? Maybe you want to explain us a bit about that?
2: Yeah, I think I may have um, explained this a little bit in the introduction, but it was really when I came to, in my psychiatry residency, came to know people who were actually had been there the first time around who were doing research in this area. So Most of the research was shut down in the 1950s and 60s. And then in the 1980s, 90s, maybe there was there was definitely no federal funding, but there was some private funding and some FDA approval for small, small studies to like restart, start up and and investigate. But it was really hard for people to start to open up the research again. And so one of those investigators And like a real pioneer in the field and someone who made a lot of headway was one of my mentors, Charlie Grove. And through him, I got to learn much more about organizations like MAPS and other funding institutes like Hefter at the time was one. Um, Now there's many others. But people who are really advocating for the, the therapeutic use, because for many years, People were using these above ground in as as medicines, and people were finding great relief and for the, all sorts of things like alcohol, alcoholism, depression, um, couples therapy. So there had been some precedent.
0: Thank you, Satya, what about you? what's your What's your take on on what happened? And I think it's very it's fascinating. I think you both have a, a strong background on the whole spiritual path, and you're both very interested on the whole like tradition. It's very interesting that Satya, you're also uh, a lawyer by by study as well. <laughs> so <laughs> we all uh, went through like the the very traditional educational educational path. What's your take on on what happened? Why are they all considered? And, and then I would love for you both to to understand like how do you use it in a more traditional background? And how do you use it in a more uh, therapeutic, uh, more Western medicine approach as well?
1: I think, I believe it's ignorance, honestly, and fear, basically. Ignorance and fear. So all these ancient uh, tribes and traditions, if we really study deeply, even uh, Catholic Church, Buddhism, all the, the ancient lineage, they use plants to heal physical body and to expand consciousness. It was normal to use plants since uh, centuries. It's pre-religion, yes? The question is when the Catholic Church uh, stepped in and started to, uh, to say what is wrong or what is uh, sacred, all this uh, ancient knowledge, ancient wisdom was repressed. Uh, because was against, the, even the rituals that they had, was totally against the rituals of the church. Uh, but it's amazing because in the uh, Vaticano, uh, there's a book from the, the Jesuit priest that found, for example, ayahuasca. And he wrote in that book, in the in, there's in the Vaticano, saying, so I was with these indigenous tribes, the huasca, and I found God for the first time in my life. For the first time, I went out of the Bible and the church, and I really found God inside of myself.
0: Um, sorry to to interrupt you, but it's actually uh, very interesting because there's a lot of mysticism in Catholic church. So one, for instance, uh, the Enneagram, I was very surprised to know that some of the best people and experts on the Enneagram are the Jesuits as well. So yes. theres uh, I've been figuring out uh, recently that even uh, that Catholic church that's on the surface seems against the more mystical side of things when it comes to, to different, uh, I don't know, techniques, if you want to call them, or tools. But they actually are very developed, just they don't make it public. Although it's the Enneagram is public. In Lisbon, for instance, they, they teach about the Enneagram.
1: In general, they don't want to make it public because all this mysticism sometimes uh, goes against their dogmas. So they would need to, to talk about openly why this mysticism, mysticism would go against. For example, Jesuitas, they are the, the keepers of knowledge, really deep knowledge, ancient knowledge on the Catholic Church, and they are the ones that anthropologists, they are the ones that always traveled, always met some different parts of the world. They would Go and have these meetings with different cultures. So they are a part of Catholic Church, and I don't have anything against Catholic Church. Huh? Nothing. Uh, of course, all the religions they they did terrible stuff. You know, we killed in name of God. We still do. Not only Catholic Church, the uh, the Muslims. It's not the church itself; is the people what we do with spirituality, okay? I don't have anything against any kind of religion. I think we, sh- we are in a time that we can all embrace all if we respect the principle of life and differences. But coming back to the plants, I believe it's ignorance and fear uh, and wine. When you invite a teacher plant, and I will only speak about teacher plants again because I never took a chemistry, okay? So can, can you tell us
0: what they, uh, which which teacher plants?
1: So I work with ayahuasca. I work with peyote, I would I work with the mushrooms and San Pedro. I was uh, for years taught all in all these ancient traditions for several years on the shamanic path. Not only with plants, with the elements, vision quests, uh, sacred pipe carrier, all these uh, ancient traditions. And I want to say something here. I believe. That we humans, on a certain level of consciousness, we don't need anything. Just by breathing, we are already in presence. I really believe this. Well, but jump
3: in-, in here for a second, maybe. So you're talking here about consciousness, but how would you define consciousness or what makes it really a consciousness? So what elements constitute towards that?
1: So consciousness, we have different levels. Can I just do do an answer to you? Because your question is really important and deserves... Yeah, maybe
3: close the other
1: topic and then jump into consciousness because it's really Uh, interesting. So I really believe that in a certain level of presence, we don't need anything. Because we need something to awake our consciousness because we suffer from big conditioning of centuries, not only this generation. We are in a big evolution, deep evolution of humanity. And uh, so all these techniques, all these spiritual uh, practice uh, with plants, without plants, therapy, that now it's almost the new age spirituality, yes, because now we are really combining psychotherapy and uh, mental health with uh, spiritual practice that I believe is much more rich. They are supports for us to understand who we are beyond our personality structure, beyond our conditioning and traumas, and even memories, not only ours, but our lineage, ancestors that we carry. Yeah. So answering to your question, Michelle, consciousness for me, existing different levels so we can have our self-consciousness about how I feel what are the qualities of my thoughts how do I perceive the world and the other and myself how do I relate this for me it's more self-development the level of self-development that now it's available for Personal everyone growth. yeah yeah thank god we should teach this since first grade to everyone Uh, We would transform humanity only with this. But there's a different level of consciousness that is uh, when we start to uh, feel. So when we start to perceive that the infinite universe exists, exists by itself without we understanding how it's created, somehow there's a fountain of this creation And this fountain is not with a rational mind or emotional system or a physical body. It allows everything to have existence by itself. So it's like a fountain that doesn't have individuality exists, giving existence to individuality, to things, to planets, to stars, to the infinite universe, to planet Earth, to humans, to be manifested. This level of consciousness is something that we can perceive rationally, but we can remember in my belief system is when we uh, have some moments, for example, that people call samadhi, uh, where we, there's even no words rationally to explain, only poetry and music or sound or silence can really give you this taste uh, because it's not something that you can put in words even. It's your expansion go beyond yourself and you open the, the roof of your mind. You understand, you experience this uh, unity with all. And to leave through... Unity
3: all. How can you get there? So if you're just living your normal life, what kind of advice would you give our audience to kind of feel that
1: unity? I would give advice not to feel, but to start putting yourself in a state where one day it can happen naturally. So it's a dance between action and non action, waiting for happening, but at the same time, like burning desire to happen because there's something in you that knows that this, you know, this uh, life that is magical and it's a true gift. There's more than this. It's not putting this life in a lower standard, no. It's through our physicality. It's through our uh, perfect system with mind, emotions, energetic field, electromagnetic, and spirituality that we can remember through that, blossom from that to that space. So, first of all, I would recommend emotional consciousness since first grade to all humanity. We would uh, people would be much more responsible for their own feelings and their own answers to life and others. They would act responsibly. So what you see in parliaments, governments, corruption, people not taking their responsibility and blaming others would be less and less and less. So we are really talking about the true evolution of consciousness and how people relate to each other in every sense. So therapy, emotional consciousness, and if people feel connected with some kind of spiritual practice, practice can be meditation, can be sacred fire rituals, can be yoga, can be mindfulness, practice, everything that allows you to go through the conditioning, to go through the personality structure without denying it, but to embrace it. Right, very
3: interesting. What is your take, Emma, on consciousness?
0: Um, may, may actually just just bring, uh, Michelle, on, on the same um, on the same direction of your question. Asima, a lot of the concepts that Satya uh, was mentioning, traditional science, some of them doesn't the concept of of energy. We speak about energy, but in different, in very different ways, Uh, consciousness. So when you go from a more therapeutic and what's being authorized right now, for instance, with MAPS, with all the um, MDMA, is consciousness or disconnection? And actually, I asked the founder of MAPS at, at Davos, I asked them, going through these experiences, do you believe this is all a chemical reaction in your brain? or that we actually connect to something outside of ourselves and larger than ourselves and he started laughing when i made the uh, when i made the question and he kind of avoided it that we can't prove the other part we hope it's there but but you can't prove it just just yet on a therapeutical context do you actually use this access to consciousness like satya was mentioning that i think it's it's an experience uh is uh widely referred by most people that go through these experiences uh,
2: so i mean in the discussion of consciousness and spirituality i definitely defer to satya and her um explanation is probably much more nuanced um i think one way it comes up in therapy psychotherapy and maybe working with these medicines in a a more Western medical model is um, awareness. So, having you know, there, there's. Let me back up a little bit. Kind of in in this Freudian influenced Western psychotherapeutic model, there's been this kind of belief that mental health and well being is really an absence of psychopathology. You know, like if someone is not having depression or not having you know severe anxiety or psychotic symptoms in there than they're normal and that normal is um kind of most what most people are like neurotic and so i think we've come a long way from there to to recognizing and i think a lot of this in our culture was influenced by eastern philosophy and the eastern spiritual tradition that actually there's a lot more than just neurotic. There's a the potential to be, you know, be more connected, aware, have, feel the feel this per, pervasive um, happiness, but not not the type of hedonic pleasure that we think of in happiness, but this more enduring, lasting, contented quality. You know, the eudaimonic, eudaimonic, eudaimonic uh, quality of happiness, and so I think that one thing for me as a practitioner in this field that's so interesting about the psychedelics is that we can use that as like part of the model that yes, we have, we, the we're treating people with major depressive disorder. We're treating people with PTSD in these studies because the way our current medical model is set up is that we have to, you know, pick a population and, and there, then there are people that are really, truly suffering from these. And we can recognize that it's not just like losing those symptoms of PTSD, it's that the potential for having, um, you know, this greater awareness, this greater connection, and a greater consciousness, if you want to use that word, which is broad, the potential for that is there. And I think that's really um, interesting. And I'll I'll bring in one other thing that we that we do use in the studies and in maps in particular, really pays a lot of attention to this. But the this idea of having an inner healer, this, this natural healing intelligence that every sentient being has, like every sentient being knows exactly how to heal itself. It's not even, it doesn't come from up here. It's just this deep, deep knowing that's in the DNA that if we, I think Satya had mentioned this in a way before, like if we can just get out of the way, if we can, you know, make space for it and and cultivate the right environment that that potential is there. And, I think that's a really nice kind of groundwork when working with participants in these research studies to really reinforce that and remind people of that it's not it's not the medicine it's not the practitioner, it's not you know this one specific thing, but it's this innate intelligence it's it's you know this ability, and so some that you know that could have connection to what people call consciousness also
3: maybe here it would be also interesting to find out. And how this study process is conducted. So let's say I want to be a participant there. Is there some kind of screening? What's the process if I am allowed to join? Can you maybe elaborate a bit on that? That would be
1: interesting. Can I just, I'd add, love, something? Yeah. Can I just add something here? Because I think what you said is really important. And I see uh, different dimensions of the psychedelics, the potential of psychedelics. That is, one is really therapeutic Okay, your trauma in your childhood, how you can perceive that, how you can forgive, how you can heal the traumas from war, all these things that we have in life. Psychedelics take us directly to certain points, but people that takes the psychedelics needs true integration with a facilitator so they can be guided for what they saw in metaphorical, in other dimensions, sounds, what that sound brought ancient memory from their past, from their childhood, how that is having a vibration in this core life, in this moment, how we can interpret that. That is one part of the medicine that really helps people to overcome difficulties in this moment. And that at the same time, there is another dimension, because there's much more, where we expand beyond that and we start to have contact with the reality that is not visible normally to our eyes. And that expands creativity, expands trust, purpose, expand the sense of life is not only what we perceive in this moment. And that gives a lot of hope to people, creates a sense of true connection and belonging to the planet, to, uh, to a global family, that their life really matters. So we are healing not only in the terms of, uh, that is really important to heal traumas and childhood, all this stuff that is what we mostly suffer. And that's why we go to addictions and that's why we go to toxic relations and food. But you have the part that we really start to feel that we belong to the ecosystem, that we belong to a unity and that how I live will have a consequence in everything around. And I think that is what will change the minds of the next politicians too, the next economic people, the people that manage economics and finances, finances. Because what they bring us is the capacity to feel again. And when we feel the suffering of another human being and ours, we don't want anyone to suffer anymore. We are drawn has. beings to life, to cooperation, to integration. So for me, the the potential of psychedelics has these two main worlds that are amazing. Just adding this part.
0: Thank you. Sima, um, I I think it would be really interesting, like Michelle told you, and then I would like to hear from Satya as well, how does the process of working with you uh, work? And uh, and then after, I would love to know like who are candidates to do such type of um, of work and experiences.
2: Yeah, well, um, so right now with most psychedelic medicines, with very few exceptions, most of it is happening in in the research setting. The, Thought belief that maybe in two to three years it will become an FDA approved medicine to to be used beyond that in the in the medical system. So a, a research example. There's so many different research studies going on. It's it, there's just this boom at the moment. There's a lot of there's a lot of capital right now. A lot of people wanting to invest in this. There's a lot of great organizations like USONA. MAPS, different, and then different like nonprofit and for-profit organizations that are really dedicated to seeing this research through. And then we're just seeing the very, very beginnings of our uh, national funding system. The National Health Institute, I'm totally blanking right now, of starting to, NIH starting to give um, funding for research like this, which is indication that it's becoming, you know, more mainstream and more on people's radars. And so there, there's many different types of studies going on right now. Um, the most well-known one is probably MAPS, MAPS MDMA for PTSD. And so when someone comes in for that study, they uh, go through a screening process where they first make sure they meet the criteria for the study to begin with.
0: Just to explain, uh, Simas, uh, for our, our audience, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's what happened, for instance, I know you've worked a lot with uh, first responders at 9-11 or, uh, for instance, uh, war veterans as well and the trauma they have from, um, that they got in, in very stressful situations, right? That will trigger going back to that traumatic, but in their daily lives. That basically can cause a lot of depression, anxiety, uh, suicide in extreme cases, and so on. Is that correct?
2: Ex- absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a good description of it. People who are still suffering with it as if it's really still happening, even though for in the in the in the example of um, the World Trade Center program, these are first responders who responded to the events of 9-11. So it's been twenty years now. And many of these people um, still live their day-to-day as if it's happening in the moment, so still have the re-experiencing and anxiety and nightmares and uh, flashbacks, and, and you know it can, be, it can really derail people in, in their lives, and then, and then it has medical consequences as, as well. So for a study like the, the MAP study, for example, one would be screened to make sure they do indeed have these symptoms to meet the criteria for that and then there's um there's exclusionary criteria which i i can't think of all of them off the top of my head but certain medical conditions cardiac conditions you know untreated high blood pressure and certain other mental health conditions would be excluded like psychotic symptoms or or things that wouldn't become couldn't wouldn't confound the research and the difficulty challenge of research is it's and this is true for all medical and mental health research, it's its usually a very narrow population. So when in reality, when the MDMA becomes FDA approved, there may be a much broader part of the population for whom these medicines may be helpful. In the research, it's being looked at for a very specific group of people. So that's just something to keep in mind. And how's the typical
0: treatment? Like the person goes with you, goes into uh, a clinic, how many therapists, how long does it take? Can you go a little bit more on the process itself?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So in in these particular types of studies, it's a model with two therapists, usually a male, female dyad. And there's reasons behind that that have to do with both safety, having two therapists for safety, for psychology, kind of. Modeling the traditional parent dyad, although when as we are progressing, we're recognizing that that's not always the most helpful to have a male and female, and there's different you know ways that could go too. And so we would, I'll speak as if I'm one of the therapists. So I'd have a co-therapist and myself who would meet with a participant over a series of sessions. So we might have maybe six to eight hours of meetings together over the course of time and every study protocol is different depending on whether this is within a week's time or within a month over the course of a month and at some point these are called we call them preparatory sessions so it's both for all the two study therapists and participants to come to know one another but also for the participant to have as much information as they as we can possibly provide about what to expect for the experience you know answer questions manage expectations and then and then there's an actual dosing which again can vary in time depend time length, depending on what the actual medicine is for mdma it could be like about a 10 hour day so the two therapists are in the room with a participant many of these protocols have a music playlist that's either curated by the study or the therapist and the participant together can can come up with the playlist And it's designed to really guide through the particular medicine that's involved. So for MDMA, designed to kind of model what the peak and the the, flow of the medicine. So there, there would be eye shades and headphones and the participant would be invited to go inward and they would uh, do so for as long as they'd want. And then at some point, you know, they might want to come and speak and interact more with the therapists. And so so that's the basic model. And once after the dosing day, there's a series of integration sessions, usually six to eight hours of integration over the course of, you know, again, a few weeks. And then in the case of the MAP study, it's three different dosings over the, so one per month for a total of three months of, of therapy. So it's pretty intensive, you know, within a therapy context, it's, it's very different from what many people are used to seeing one-on-one therapists for like 45 minutes or 50 minutes or an hour. This is being with in a therapeutic environment for much longer periods of time. And it brings up a lot of questions. I'm I'm curious to hear Satya's thought about it, but about how sustainable a practice this is, you know, I think traditionally these medicines have been used in, in group context and, the community around it is so important and there's many factors. And so this particular model, I think, has the real healing potential and is, you know, really amazing in some ways, the level of attention and care that a participant can have is probably unparalleled. But on the other hand, when I think about general practice or practitioners, I, it brings up a lot of questions about sustainability, affordability, you know, compensation for two therapists time for, you know, that, that intensive of a treatment and, um, and then just like how many people could benefit from this medicine. And, and if you think about this model, it, it just, you know, a lot of questions come up in my mind about how it can be translated into a, an effective uh, way to use it.
3: Maybe um, so did, let me jump
2: in sorry. here
3: just um, about the experience of the patients, because in studies, when I did some research for my report, some of the study participants ranked the LSD experience as one of their most meaningful experiences in their life. Do you have maybe an example of participants who had similar experiences? And
2: Yeah, I mean, so, so the thing about these studies is one could receive placebo or one could receive inactive medication or active medicine since it's a research. Th- so when we're talking about participants who received active medicine or the, the real deal, um, it's it's pretty profound. As a therapist, I'm really touched and it's such an honor to be with these participants who are having um, all different kinds of experiences, but some are what I think what you described the most meaningful experiences, spiritual experiences, feelings of like openness, unity, connectedness, even even imagery that's just quite beautiful and profound. And then as a therapist, I think it's fascinating too, because there can be real mystical and meaningful experiences in that way and there can also be more uh, experiences that of people pro- going back and processing. Things that have happened in their lives with their, you know, their primary caregivers or a trauma that happened and being able to see things from multiple perspectives and being able to just have a completely different perspective on, on it that can shift the, the feeling of anxiety and fear around it to a feeling of like real peace. And so yeah, it's, it it can be, it can really vary. And, and then this happens. I will always remember um, one participant we worked with who had a very challenging experience and the entire eight hours was like miserable for her. And even in it, she said, I will never recommend this. I can't believe this is being researched. I would never recommend this as a treatment for anyone. This is torture. And she had such a challenging experience and then came back one week later saying that that it changed my life, and it's been. The, it was the most meaningful experience of my life, and I, this should. This is something that everyone should experience. And It's so.
0: medicine. It's medicine. People mm-hmm. sometimes are like, it's not always like when you take the medicine it doesn't taste great right away. Bitter, and I find, good. and I find it fascinating because there are a lot of similarities with the more traditional way and medicine plants like ayahuasca for instance the way like uh it's guided by music that you do the playlist uh it's very interesting satya I'll, if someone goes through this and and i would also would love to know as well like if someone goes into such an experience because there are callings right now from everywhere i don't know if last week probably i got like three invitations for I'm currently in Mexico. I'm actually, um, I work with horses and horse therapy as well, besides all the other things but mexico is a very mystical place and a lot of uh, these traditions but it's been insane not only here but in portugal as well in the u.s i don't know if i got maybe like three four invitations for different experiences between mushrooms and ayahuasca and everything and then there's like oh just come here and have ayahuasca after work before dinner and then we'll go for it's just like There's so much noise right now. It's such, so getting so hip, and everyone is going into it. Like, there are all these shows on Netflix, everything. Like, how do you actually, and Satya, you you have a a long path on this. How do you actually differentiate who knows what they are doing and who's just like doing, like, actually, what can be very a very dangerous practice because these are definitely not toys or like uh, Sima, your your the patient you just went through, they are not always like pleasant experiences or definitely not recreational substances.
3: I think here also a difference is that if you take it by yourself, you don't have that guided environment and in a study context that's really important because you have the therapists there, which will or who will help you. And if you do it by yourself, it can have really bad
1: outcomes as well
0: what's your take satya (laughs) with all your
1: experience oh just to tell you that when i started years years ago i want to say that uh, somehow i was in therapy since 11 and spirituality even before 11 so somehow i had a background to support uh, anything that i would go through so when i started with sacred plants i want to tell you that almost no one was taking around the world, okay? Psychedelics were, they had a boom, 80s, on the and then totally shut down by law. But the sacred plants, we were just a few around the world. And of course, then it happens, a boom. So illegally is happening everywhere. It's illegally because law is, perceives, has a, a drug, illegal drug, okay? So... Uh, There's so many uh, amazing things that we can discuss here. I really hope that I can go one by one without taking a lot of time and to be very objective, because this is a very deep conversation. So... First of all, I don't agree what is going on on the world right now with sacred plants. Uh, I think there's an excessive abuse of these, for me, sacred medicines that that heals people. They save physicality. They save people from cancer. They save families. They save their soul. They expand consciousness. They overcome and they open the hearts and uh, the way we perceive life. And Satya, uh, so, I'm
0: sorry, there's even a sustainability issue right now with things totally. like peyori, ricori, San Pedro, not as much, which is easier. But there's actually an environmental issue that people are over-harvesting these types of plants. Ayahuasca, I believe, as well. Totally.
1: The, the type of ayahuasca that I started years ago there doesn't exist anymore. Only sometimes appears by chance. So, uh, for example, in the in Peru, where I uh, work a lot, where we have our camp, our uh, reserva, uh, we plant uh, chacruna ayahuasca, and all uh, the other healing plants. It's a botac- botanical garden. We really take care. And each group that I take, we plant trees, we plant plants, so we can give back to the earth. But it's not enough, because the demanding now is totally out of control. So what happens is, the ones that we started in a more uh, present way to go into Amazonia, to really be with shamans, to really go into tribes, to really learn the rituals. We were uh, though exactly the same way, the ones that they would go to India to the gurus. But now what happened is because we felt so many benefits, there was a boom. So, and another thing. The tribes and a lot of shamans, that they are not true shamans, because of the money that comes in through this, they started to travel a lot. So what happens is we have a lot of people doing and giving ayahuasca and other plants and doing rituals that they are not really trained. They experience one time and they buy in the internet and start to give to friends. People uh, start to take a loan. And there's a lot of people uh, saying that they are already very professional, whatever, lineage, and it's a lie. So this is something that we all need to really look now. Is uh, there some
3: kind of certification then?
1: How no. uh,
3: like a person would know? No. It's a real no. man? No. Not no. yet.
1: And we are on our way for that. But without giving the totally power to give the certificate, To universities, because honestly, I don't believe that people that only go through, uh, you know, medicine school, honestly, or uh, uh, psychotherapy or law, they are ready to work with this and to give to people. They need to do their own way for years with these substances. It's what I truly believe. If they really want to support someone with that, of course, it's very important, all this background. Psychotherapy, uh, psychiatrics, medicine school is really important. So what I see in the future, we need to create a, a training, whatever, where we combine ancient traditions, their perceptions with the medical schools, psychotherapy, psychiatrics, whatever, because only one is not enough. Only another is not enough. It's really shallow both. Of course, and this is this could be a long conversation. So I will go a little bit further, and then we can come back. So this is something that we all need to look all has a society that we really uh, understand the power, the potential, potential of the healing of these substances. And I'm speaking about circuit plants, not the others because I don't know, but I read and it's amazing potential. So first of all, if a person wants to go to a ceremony and it's a totally different context for one person to a group and I work with one person and big groups too. Okay. I was taught to, to, to work on both. And I, for me, I love both. Of course, the group session invites a more intense experience because your sounds, your movements your energy, it's in the same room, has many. It can be beneficial, or for some people, it can't be. okay? So, for example, if a person wants to go to a ceremony, one thing that they need to understand if they don't do an a medical interview to you, something is not correct. They need to know. What is your sleeping system? Do you sleep? Don't you sleep? If you are taking antidepressants or sleeping pills, if you are, you need to do a detox. There's a certain time. needs to be with your doctor so you can prepare yourself. People with diabetes, there's a way, a special protocol to work with them. And it's a shamanic protocol based on uh, science based on how we perceive the body and needs to be safe. People with heart diseases, for example, is a totally no. People with bipolarity and schizophrenia, schizophrenia can be really damaging. In general, they can't take this kind of medicines bipolarity in certain ways with a certain protocol they can for example blow uh, blood pressure the way I, I was taught they can take the medicines but they need to have the pills on the room and we need to be ready to lead to know how to read pulse so there's many uh, you need to understand if there is um suicide attempts in their lives or in their family if they have schizophrenia in their lineage, because that will come up in a ceremony. That will come up. And we need to be ready to work with this, how it's their response to alcohol normally. If they take drugs, what kind of drugs? And if they take, there are certain drugs that they can take at least for one month. Can they really sustain that one month without anything? So all this taking care, if you go to a ceremony where no one gives you, makes you an interview like this, honestly, they are not ready to work with people. And if you ask me to my teachers how they did this interview, not as so professional, present, but they were asking all these questions all the time. Now, of course, when I started to work with them for a long time, because I came from therapy, la, 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 of course, I add a lot of things, but the the main was there, and they would say no, and we need to be ready to say you are not. It's this is not good for you, and we need to have a different kind of practice to support the person. And then we go to the ceremony in a while. After the ceremony, after each ceremony, the day after you need to have the integration work with all the group or with one person. And for that, you need to have skills from therapy. You need to have skills to understand what is childhood trauma, what is a trauma, what is a rape, what is a sexual abuse, how to work with that when it comes in the ceremony. So it's much deeper than just giving a substances and let's see what happens. If we really want to work in a conscious and healthy way, because it's really intense. This is just a very short explanation the way I work and how I really uh, teach my teams. And for example, we have a support group where people can't sleep. We go to their houses and we stay with them. And we have doctors that if they need, we put people to sleep. So because I take so much care till now, I only had two cases in 15 years that we needed to really help the person to sleep because I really take care before during ceremony integration work and then when they go home with a lot of integration work anyway and we are always available available for people and of course they have sessions with us after etc during ceremony for a thing that we were speaking here a very intense ceremony is very beautiful ceremonies in my perspective my background the way i perceive life they are all a blessing the very heart to the most beautiful ones, because we are a complex system. And there's, you know, like an addiction to feel good and happy all the time. And this this is a true obstacle for our humanity to rise in terms of really become a true human being. Because to grow the ability, sustain pain, and to go through it and to process it and not to be stuck is something that we all need to to train so in this fast furious society we don't want that i am okay i'm okay i'm ready i'm ready i want to feel good so only the beautiful ceremonies they are amazing no 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 i can tell you for myself the most uh, strong ceremonies were the ceremonies that really changed my life as a person is what i see in others but you need to have a true integration and of course, to feel love for the first time in a ceremony, bliss is so healing as the others. And I think people need to be to prepare to work with these two dimensions and to help people to understand what happened there, what it was going there. So they can integrate all these experiences and the beautiful ones especially. Because normally what happens, the ego of that person grows so much that they lose contact with this life, with this reality. And we don't want that too we want people to stay here. They go there into these dimensions, they expand, but to bring something here to their families, to their work, is the way I perceive it, of course. And uh, Sima, I was really, uh, I, I would love to, to go into those sessions because i I'm, I love to study, honestly. Anything that might help anyone, I will be there. So I think there's there's a place for every kind of work in a professional way, uh, in a human way too, not only seeing the sickness of the person, but the, the true humanity on that person, if it, even if it's suffering a lot. So I love to work with groups. I really love. Um, of course, I come from these ancient traditions where this is mainly done in groups, but I work with individuals too. For us, the music is we ne- in my tradition, I never play a CD, nothing. It's everything that needs to come from my voice or the, some musicians that are with me or even some clients. Because the, the channel, this is more spiritual explanation, okay? Please, you don't need to agree with me. It's just my belief system and I don't want you to believe anything. It's, I'm giving what I have. The channel is the, the facilitator for the container of the space. So the vibration of the voices with different sounds touch in the vibrational field and in the vibration of the person taking them to certain places. Of course, the healer, the one who heals is the person. We are a supporter. We are a safe container. We are maybe sometimes, uh, you know, pushing little buttons to see if it can... So... The the when we use music, icaros, the, uh, the really ancient songs, uh they are they it's like they carry centuries of these vibe sounds talking to plants and to animals and to souls. So we see this as like an instrument of the ceremony itself. So uh, the way I perceive sound and music over there, of course. Uh, but I believe that is totally possible, how to say, a therapeutical uh, environment like that. I really believe everything. Uh, I never did it, honestly. I never did it. Even myself, when I'm by myself doing my own. Because to be where we are, we have a very deep training. The way I was taught, of course. And even and the the most hard thing is to be in silence in these traditions, is to really grabbing all these dimensions and being there, holding that and going through the experience and transform into that through the silence.
3: Okay, so now, um, thank you for that. We also looked a bit at the potential of PTSD, but what are actually dangers of psychedelics? So we already talked that in a study contents, the guidance is really essential, but what are dangers in a medical context, but also um, like in a context when someone takes it by themselves. Selma, do you maybe want to start here?
2: Uh, I can try. I'm still. I'm just uh, flowing with Satya's description of the ceremonies and wishing I can receive it, the ikaro in in our study sessions. Such so, so <laughs> a beautiful description. We <laughs> um, should get
0: together and exchange experiences.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Yes, yes please. Yes. Okay. I would love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So the dangers of psychedelics. I again, I'm trying to refocus to answer this question. I think um, I think we've kind of talked about this just very broadly. I think, as Satya mentioned, these are really safe, have have the potential to be really sacred medicines. And I think with any medicine, there can be benefits and there can be a dark side. So I think medically, you know, we're talking psychedelics and plant medicines is such a broad description because there are so many different medicines and they all have their different risk benefit ratio and i guess within the psych- cl- the psychedelics that are being researched most classically um, psilocybin that comes from the psilocybin psilocybin cubensis mushroom is probably one of the safer medicines but things like like mdma has potential cardiac Effects. So there have to there has to be a lot of monitoring, you know, before administering that. Things like DMT and ayahuasca, as Satya mentioned, has the potential to have a lot of interactions with different foods and medications just by virtue of how it's metabolized and processed in the body. So there has to be a lot of care in uh, someone who's planning to take those medicines and how they prepare for it. I, I think one thing that we, and depending on the particular substance, I think one thing we do have a better understanding of it is that most of them are not addictive in the kind of classical sense we think of addictive medicine like develop tolerant tolerance withdrawal symptoms and you know starts to affect daily functioning. That being said, I think one of the dangers is is the potential for them to be overused or misused. And for for people who are using them maybe not for not in the most therapeutic way that that overuse of, or misuse can have damage down the line.
0: It can be like an extreme sport. I think like working on yourself at a certain point can be just like you're going in for the kick. And um, I've actually discussed this with with Satya in the past, and you get so addicted on the treatment or on the, the process that then you don't implement it in your life. I, I, it's something that I see often people that go one after the other, after the other, and then your life is more about the therapy than using the results of the therapy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Where this this is, you know, something someone uses every fifteen days and becomes just part of the part of what you do, and that uh, can be what you just said, David. <laughs> um, I think one thing that we monitor for are like adverse effects, um, things that that like persisting. Um, hallucinations, or hearing voices, or, um, you know, seeing things, paranoia. So if someone has a predisposition for psychotic symptoms, it's not necessarily that everyone who uses these medicines is going to have those, but the potential for that is is a little bit greater. We're working with different states of consciousness and kind of ego structure, you know, fragility can have, um, have consequences that can impair someone more significantly down the line. Those are some that come off the top of my head. I'll pass it to Satya to continue. To... Uh, so what I see uh,
1: many times is with sacred plants, uh, people are addicted to the community environment because they, they, They really feel that they have this spiritual support, that everyone is for the same thing. And there's a risk of people wanting to go to these medicines just to live that experience again, to be in that context. But then they don't really apply in their life to really change something. And as a facilitator or shaman or therapist, the name, what we want, I think, Okay, we just need to find the name, needs to really observe who is that person, what is going on with their lives and to really support them and to call attention. What is going on? Why you are here again? What is going on? And there's people that they really need to be there for sometimes two years, almost 15, 15 years, uh, days. Imagine he has heroin addiction and this is really helping them. Fantastic for them. But imagine that you have a person that they are very vulnerable, very fragile, and when they go home, they stay two weeks with dizziness effect, or they can't really work, or they 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 need a long time to come back to themselves and feel that they are ready to wake up and go to work. So you we need to read people and to really support where they are. So the the, the most the the most important or difficult consequence is when I believe when people give medicine uh, or any other substances in doses that for that person is too much, and there's no one there during the ceremony to contain, to help, and after doing the integration. Because even if sometimes it's too much because with these medicines, the, the most amazing thing is sometimes the same bottle The same quantity has totally different effects. Sometimes you just go to sleep, no visions, no nothing. Or sometimes you have a very deep uh, journey. And it's not about the quantity. Of course, we know if we give a bottle, that person might die. But I'm speaking with normal doses, we can't even know. So even the choice of the doses is very delicate. So you need to be a very experienced person to choose the dose in the shamanic way. And it's not measuring, it's not with a needle, it's not with a balance. No, it's really a very subjective, this choice. And we could go there even with another big talk. But the most important thing is when people don't have... A true integration of what happened, and they have they don't have a team to support the integration even after days after that can be risky because people really lose their ground. They they lose physical boundaries, even the sensation of the body. Sometimes they don't even feel the body. So you need to be ready to work with all of this to contain them so they come back again to themselves. And extreme cases, you you need even to put people to sleep. Very extreme because they are four days without sleeping. They can't, they can't. And all these ceremonies with payote, ayahuasca, cambu, whatever, uh, uh, San Pedro, and then uh, sometimes (laughs) substances mixed. This is is like, people don't know what they are doing. They are killing other people. And uh, I remember a case that I had to go to the hospital because a person that I know went to a ceremony And she went in coma for eight days and this is one example i know many Uh, many people call me say please can you come here people that i don't work with because there's no sense what what is going on is people don't know what they are doing it's the chair of power because it's a lot of status now i work with sacred medicines or substances now, even even in the doctor field, now this is a status again coming up. We need to be very honest with this, all of us, if we really want to do a good work. And there's a lot of money involved because there is. And it's okay. It's deserved because it's really people's lives that are saved, that we really help. So if a car is really expensive in the house, so we are talking about health there's for me there's no taboo around money but the question is people go there because of that because of the status to be a shaman or now like I mean, whatever I'm not saying that you do huh? Some, I'm speaking about the problems that we all have in general and the the money and for this specific profession that is really delicate it can't be about that because many times you will have people that really need your help and you need to give for free totally because it's not about you receiving the money it's really service and in the way that i was taught and the way i perceive to help people is not something that we choose or we serve or we don't serve and in that field in that role we can say no only in their health of course about them Schizophrenia, all these situations with sleeping pills, antidepressive. it's about them. And in many cases, for example, that I work with cancer, I ask the exams, how is your liver? How are your kidneys? So we understand if they can use this and doesn't damage them. This is and really now- important.
0: And, and I think there's also, I think this is a really important conversation to have because all the noise and also like pharmaceutical companies are getting into this, uh, which makes it interesting, the money issue. So it's like, oh, so here you have to be a healer for free, but now pharmaceutical. And there's a big issue now with patents around uh, psilocybin, for instance, because, and another problem, which is if this has better results, it's much less money for the pharmaceutical industry if you cure someone in sessions than it is over like 20 years.
3: Mm-hmm. So you said you're working with pen- um, c- cancer patients. Do you do focus there more on the pain relief or what is the nature of the work when working with cancer patients?
1: Can- Mainly is to really to heal the cancer. To really save people's lives. And I have great results with many people. Uh, of course, I can tell that it's 100% because it's not. And I already uh, went through uh, the process of dying with several clients and what I see in this process of dying, the use of these substances are amazing because people make peace with themselves. They get ready to to let go the body. They go into forgiveness process with their relatives or other people. They understand there's much more than this life here. So their fear of letting go the body um, goes down. Of course, there's always an anxiety to dive deep into the mystery <laughs> it's but what i see is people they 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 become much more aware of this process and with more availability to die even to they really get ready and that's beautiful the peace that they found the confession all the confession process that comes up and for the healing of cancers what happens there is in my belief system the way i see is physicality somaticizes mainly what goes inside of your emotional system, mental system, and spiritual system. The body is the matter container. Of course, we can already bring memories of these cancers and other diseases, but they were triggered. They happened because we all have this, but there's lineage with more. They are more available. They have more quantity of these memories. So what I do, in ceremonies and one more time i'm not t- tell, uh, saying this this is the truth is the way i perceive years of years of my work okay so what i do is to really go to the fountain of the problem so what what how is the session like this i prepare the person to say look i will do my best but the, the, the important key is yourself and the most important thing is you really need to to see the truth." you really need to want to see the truth and to really pray for your life. Why? Because when people, they just want to save now and they don't change nothing normally, what happens? The cancer comes back. Okay. Because they didn't change behavior. They didn't change belief system. They didn't do a true process of transformation. Mm -hmm. So during the ceremony, beyond that, because that it will depend only on them, and I want to repeat, there are certain cases that the body can't heal anymore, okay? We have a big uh, reduction sometimes, but it's still there. But a lot of times it really happens, okay? And how do I see this? With the, the medicine plans, there's uh, different dimensions of healing. There's the physicality is when the body shakes a lot or sweats a lot or purges a lot or a lot of tears allows it to come out. And I use a technique that came into the ceremonies when I was learning about cancers that is to help the body to vibrate because the is like breathwork, liberates the memories on the lymph, on the bones, on the muscles. So the, through vibration, all the stuck energy because a cancer is a, a cell that is deformed, is not a, a healthy, creates... A, a, a blockage energetic blockage so when we vibrate we allow this blockage to start to move to be released but they need to go inside and to say and to pray for their lives and to really grab in their lives again and then i do before and after a lot of therapy a lot what brought them there okay without this without this conscious work uh, I don't see so many results, honestly. And I see many people that they couldn't have kids, having kids after. I have a lot of clients like that. A lot of women, they couldn't have menstruation and the menstruation come coming because the ayahuasca influence a lot and the others, the pineal, and uh, the glandula. So, and it's totally, uh, uh, how do you say, linked with our menstruation cycle, the Uh, When they have a lot of stress, women, cortisol, normally they they lose the menstruation or it becomes too intense. So honestly, it's more about emotional healing than Mm -hmm. physical healing on on those cases. And each person is a mystery. It's a complex world. For the same disease, there are so many whys and reasons and complexity and little details. And we need to work with that not only this is the disease and we do like this doesn't in, in this way that i perceive and i believe traditional medicine should work i always like love to work with doctors and other therapists and psychiatrists because we need to help that person that's it and if they need to cut they cut the cancer and we go into the healing for example with ayahuasca or therapy to understand how can you really transform yourself? How can you grow? How can you let go all these things that you carry? They
0: don't
1: have very- to be.
0: They don't have to be one or another. I think one of the the great things is that all these things they can complement each other instead of just uh, being oh, if I break a heart if I break an arm I probably don't want just like someone doing Reiki or whatever on I me. Mean, it's like, which I, I it just happened. It's like. There's for certain things, there are certain medicines and, and it's not like one size fits all and there's not really a point. This being said, Satya, I really like your conversation as well with Tiago marks which is someone I, I really like that uh, is a psychiatrist as well. And one of the comments he makes there, when we talk about traditional medicine, he goes like, he makes he made a great comment. He's like, yeah, Chinese medicine uses a rhino horn to give virility to men. And just the fact that this is being done for thousands of years uh, doesn't mean that it's right. So on, how can we keep learning and evolving both on ancient traditions and traditional or more Western medicine? How do we bring all these things together and that we don't create new beliefs, new dogmas, and that we just don't go like hey you know what now i'm against medicine i think it was even steve jobs that he just went to traditional medicine really late because at the certain point he was just drinking i think it was carrot juice or something and it was like traditional medicine is not for me and uh, and this is from his uh, walter isaacson biography if i if i have the facts right that you you went to traditional medicine probably already like a little too late and he could have done something more complementary because he was going with some um, beliefs he had. How do you make this like a 360 approach that we can bring all these tools and that they keep evolving and we don't get stuck into new beliefs and dogmas? How, how do both of you think we can we can do?
2: Uh, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think having dialogues like this is start is a is a good place to start. Really having conversations and coming to understand different systems and you know what's working. I think, like if we were to look at it from a, the traditional or more like Western system, I think so much is of our of this model is based in research and what research can show. And I think that there's ups and downs to that. There's a you know research is important. It shows us over a long period of time what what could be helpful, and that's how we guide our system. But there's a lot of things that don't fit into the Western research model. It's like putting a circle into a square peg. It just it's not going to work. And so how can we translate that? You know that this these ancient healing techniques or methods that have worked for so many years, how can we kind of better understand that? And I think like in your question is also this idea of like, what, how do we know what's really working and what's, what's not, and, and how do we decipher that? And I think that's a, that's a great question of how we can kind of bring different models together. I think one challenge when I think about it in, in terms of psychedelics is that, a lot of the traditional, a lot of the indigenous healing, traditional healing takes place within a particular cultural context and they differ. Like there's so many different cultures or traditions that are using these sacred plant medicines in different ways. And and it, they don't all, and some people resonate with that. Some people go to Peru or go to Brazil or go, you know, to, to different parts of the world and have these experiences and And some people don't, you know, if we're kind of looking at Western culture, I'm sitting here in the U.S. So a question that comes up is how we're going to, I I really think it takes an integration. How are we going to take what we know from the science and the research and our best understanding of this and integrate it with these, like, again, thousands of years of like wisdom that come from both, not just plant medicine traditions, but also, spiritual traditions, you know, Eastern spirituality, different Christian mysticism, all these different things are there. These are all forms of medicine. How can we bring these together? And that's, that's a big question, like in kind of within this culture. And I don't, I don't have an answer for that yet, but I think Satya was alluding to this earlier when she was talking about training needs to really incorporate all these different things. And I think there's some that are out there that are beginning to do this. I think like, you know, CIIS is one that looks at it from different perspectives. And there's some others that are actually take people abroad or have, you know, wisdom elders come in and teach about traditions and to give people a better understanding, but how to make that more rigorous, I think would be a, a good question to hold.
0: I'm a little, I'm a little worried about it, for instance, with, the um, complete legalization of things like, like a psilocybin, so-called magic mushrooms and all these things. And also like, like Satya mentioned in terms of training, I believe that it's really, it's really important that there has to be like some type of, uh, framework around this, because one of the, the, the issues I see is the pendulum swing, we go from everything is forbidden. To now, I think what happened, and I'm involved also in a, in a marijuana, uh, medicinal, uh, medicinal marijuana project. But uh, if you remember the Simpsons, they start with the beer culture. So everyone is like, everything is beer, and it's so cool to drink beer. Now, cannabis, it's like everyone, it's like CBD is going to save the world. All these things are the solution for everything. And now we're going to go on on psychedelics. And, oh, this is just a solution for everything in the world. And I think when you have abuse, you're going to do the pendulum swing. So every, you're going to push it. When you push it, what happens? It's going to break at some point. You're going to have, like Satya mentioned as well, all these cases. They can be neurosis, coma, death, like all these things. And then people are like, these people are going to be, see, we told you so. This is dangerous and people, and so like, again, it goes, and I think it's really important that we find, and and that's the reason why also for this podcast is, how do we raise awareness so that the right questions are asked and we just don't go, or this is terrible or this is amazing? How do we find an, equi- a, an equilibrium where we can actually bring these tools to our, our daily lives? lives and I find to go to a little bit the, the point when we had like some communication issues in Mexico it's not always the best internet uh, where I am right now but the pharmaceutical industry it's something that I think sustainability is definitely an issue but also and I really liked um, what you were mentioning on there's no shame on charging for whatever these things are which type of therapies there are and then Sima you raised the issue of can we do this more affordable because having like sessions with two therapists for eight hours in a city like new york it's definitely not something cheap and only very few people are going to to have the the, um, the money for it but then like pharmaceuticals uh, they are coming into trying to get patents on on these um on psilocybin on all these other substances and what's going to to happen here is this might create like new industries And also because the recurring therapies, like, I don't know, if you're going to take Valium the rest of your life, you're definitely a much more profitable patient than if you do like three sessions of ayahuasca, psilocybin, whatever, MDMA, whatever uh, you decide to do, like you've been, uh, there have been initial results showing that they they can be effective. So the the economics of this change. And whenever there's money, there's also like a lot of potential for abuse and taking advantage of uh, of the situations now i want to be really respectful of your time this has been like a really really amazing conversation michelle thank you so much for the great work uh, your group has put uh into choosing such wise guests i would and it's amazing to do like the, uh, the conversation with three amazing and powerful women thank you very much for that as well and now I have a final question uh, for both of you. If we were doing this conversation five years from now, what do you think would change in what we are saying?
1: Can I just say one thing? I think we really need people to have these kind of discussions with open minds in a very humble way to learn and beyond economic situation, because as you were saying, now the pharmaceutical industries will grab this and again, we will lose the true purpose of these healings. So we really need to have these discussions much more so we can sustain a proper work with these kind of substances and sacred plants, that they are substances anyway. But we need to have people from all different areas of life to be able to discuss and to have a common ground that is healing and rising consciousness. Otherwise, in five years, what I believe, we will discuss economics. Only that, and the rest is forgotten.
0: Thank you. Sima, what about you?
2: Yeah, I mean I I think if we're looking at trends there's like three areas where again talking within the US where psychedelics are coming up and one is in the medical system and one is through decriminalization kind of possibly following the path of marijuana you know like if we're looking at Colorado and California and then the other is through the religious freedoms act. I think those are three fronts like looking at different spiritual traditions within the United States like UDV and different and Santo Daime and different groups that are using this in a spiritual context. And so I don't know, I don't know where we'll be in five years. I, I think it's, I think these, a lot of the concerns are the power dynamics. I think what Satya mentioned, the the money, the like fact that, you know, if the people with the most money are going to be having control over these substances, I think I can see that as a big problem. And my hope is that there's movement in all three areas so that it does bring in different conversations. And it's not just like, I'm, you know, controlled by the pharmaceutical companies, medical systems. I think one interesting thing MAPS is doing is is um trying to keep MDMA off patent, off label. And I think, you know, keep it within like the public benefit corporation, not-for-profit model. And I think that's a really interesting model, and I would hope that others in the field would take something like that, but it's a contrast to what you were saying before, like Compass and others that are really trying to strongly patent psilocybin, and there'll be so many others down the line. so yeah, I would it'll be interesting to see let's have let's have part two of this podcast in five years and see.
0: <laughs> yes. I think we should. I think there's still so much unsaid. I think we should have one definitely before five years. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to thank you. Uh, thank you so, so much for for your time and for your participation and for all the knowledge. It's a topic I'm very passionate about from all the different perspectives. And um, and it's a topic that's still a little bit, we are still at times that it's still a little risky to talk about it at university and so on. and. Um, it's a, it's it's not about recommending one way or the other it's yes. about making you making people aware of getting the making asking themselves the right questions also because one of the things i'm seeing is a lot of people going to into experiences that if you don't talk about it is just worse so it's like look these are what we this is what we know this is make your decisions, make your calls, because just by asking around at, uh, at classes, like a lot of people have done experiments. So there's no point in just hiding ourselves. It's like, no, if we don't talk about it, nobody will know about it, then nobody will try. No, this is widely available. So better to have people raise the awareness. And this is a little bit the relevance of this, um, of this podcast. Satya, you're saying something?
1: Yes, we are not saying that you should or anyone should take dr- any kind of drugs. What we are saying, there is a, an amazing potential in certain substances and sacred plants taken in the right environment with the right purpose. And this makes totally the difference, totally. And
0: uh, and the research now here, like Simo was mentioning, like you have some of the biggest institutions in the world. I believe NYU is doing a lot of research Stanford, Berkeley, uh, John Hopkins, like you have a lot of research being done. And uh, hopefully, like uh, Tim Ferris, I know is um, big into podcasts, he's supporting a lot of research on it. A uh, lot of research is happening all over the world. And I think we're going to get to things important and here, things for us. And here
1: in Portugal, we are uh, in the process of opening the first legal clinic with sacred plants with the psychiatry, director of psychiatry, therapy, nurses. But the first, it's a long process, but we already went through the first, uh, like the, the biggest part of the process. Now we are on the last part. So if you can pray for us, because if it happens, it's a big international changing on this, uh, on this
2: amazing medicines. Congratulations, that's very exciting. <laughs> let's see, let's see.
0: <laughs> the fifth empire. Here we go. Yeah, Thank you. Too. Yeah, there you go. Thank you so much uh, to the interview. It was an amazing, amazing conversation and looking forward to continue this conversation soon. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, everyone.
3: Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Nice to
0: meet you. Nice to It was a beautiful talk. Thank you so much. It was um, it was great, um, Michelle. If you can send an email to everyone, uh, I think it would be great so, so that uh, everyone has uh, each other's contacts. Yeah. And uh, yeah.
3: Sure, I read ready If it you after. need,
0: yeah, and if you need like people to help you with anything, I'm very open. Let me know as well. It's uh, it's a topic uh, I'm very passionate about, and um, think can have a lot of positive impact.
1: Me too. Count on me. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Next week, we'll be back with another episode of Leeds X. This time regarding one of the hottest topics right now. Where are cryptocurrencies going? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You may reach out to us for commenting, giving suggestions, or just say hi by email, x at leedsadventures.com. Twitter and Instagram, at Leeds Adventures, and LinkedIn, LITS Adventures. LITS is L-I-T-S and stands for Life is Too Short. LITS podcast is a result of the teamwork between Beatrice Chosa, Janos Geyer, Lydian Marie Friedrich, Sigurd Kolts, and David Bernardo Santo.